Thanks so much for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and help you grow deeper in your faith. Well, hello. My name is Mark Shoon. Um, when we're not in lockdown, myself and my family, we worship um, at Padstow campus. So, of course, we have an online um, and a Preston and a Padstow campus. But isn't it wonderful that even despite in the lockdown, we're able to actually come together as one campus um, together and worship um, the Lord. During the week, my job um, is I manage um, and lead a learning community here in Sydney um, of a K-12 school. And so since June, great change has been happening um, through all the school, schooling system in Sydney, but then also further out throughout all of New South Wales. And so a lot of challenges have been um, before us. Um, because schools are being closed. There's also challenges on parents because now kids are also at home and people are working from home. And there doesn't seem to be much respite um, at the moment um, as we stay in our home. One of the responsibilities that I have um, is every um, 11 o'clock every day, I listen to our Premier and her press conference. The reason I do that is I need to be able to know what the next thing is going to be happening, and I need to be able to respond um, to those um, new initiatives, new laws, new um, strategies that have been put in place. What struck me last week when I was talking to staff um, online, um, as, we, as we do at the moment, was the feeling of hope starting to drain. And the reason for that is that we had worked towards a goal of bringing in HSC students able to start school again, and then as COVID continued to rise in our communities, um, the goalposts of opening kept on getting shifted further and further back. And so there was a real sense um, last week that hope was just starting to fade. So what I want to address um, today is this whole topic of when hope fails. What do we do? So today I want to encourage you um, by telling two stories from the scriptures to see um, how they responded to when hope seemed to fade, but God came through. And so my first um, story is about a king called Jehoshaphat, and he teaches us through his example, the importance of keeping our eyes on God. So King Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judea. The Judean kingdom came from the Israel kingdom, but it was, it was split after King Solomon had passed away, and Jehoshaphat was the fourth king. Jehoshaphat was also a great-great-great-grandson of David, being the fifth generation after King David um, in, his, in his lineage. Funny enough also is that Jehoshaphat actually started his kingdom exactly a hundred years after King David passed away and King David's rule finished in the kingdom of Israel. So under Jehoshaphat, the Judean kingdom started to flourish even though it had split four, four um, kings ago, um, they was, he started to become quite wealthy. The nation became wealthy. They started to have um, um, great influence in the area. They had trade. Um, and also, 
um, Jehoshaphat was also bringing revival of, of people being coming back to knowing about God. See, what had happened in the previous kings is that the knowledge of who the people of Israel were and who God was had waned. And so one of the things that he did was he, he, he sent out his priests out of Jerusalem into the, the villages and into the towns to teach the people who God was. And so here we've got this marvellous piece of kingdom um, happening. And you would say, hey, everything is looking fantastic. So we've got a map here of Judea. And you can see that on this side, we have the kingdoms of the, of the Ammonites, the Moabites and the Edomites. And they decided as a group to come across the Jordan and to invade Judea. Now, in the scriptures, it says that they were so large, the scriptures describe them as a horde, okay? Um, couldn't be counted. The, the amount of soldiers that had flown into Judea was overwhelming the kingdom. Hope was fading. And so what is Jehoshaphat to do? People are looking at him. He's the king. He has to have the strategy. He has to set the direction of what to do. So all of the people for security came back into Jerusalem. It says men, women, children. His soldiers were there. And Jehoshaphat then prayed. And he uttered, I think, as a leader, I think this is a bold statement that he makes. In his prayer, he says, we do, know, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You imagine that being a leader saying, I don't know what to do, but then declaring, but my eyes are on you. And when Jehoshaphat finished that prayer, God then answered um, that declaration of, we've got our eyes on you, Lord. You know what's going to happen. And God answers him through a prophet who then speaks up. And we read on here in Chronicles 20, 2 Chronicles 20, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So they did. The next day, Jehoshaphat and his soldiers um, marched out to battle. But as they were marching out, the Bible says that the, um, the, the hordes started to fight each other. Some kind of a disagreement, something happened. It caused them to start fighting each other and they killed each other. And by the time the Judean um, army with Jehoshaphat in the lead marched on into that battleground, the battle had already been won. Setting your eyes on God, He'll work things through for you. Now, you might be asking, well, how do I keep my eyes on God? So four things I've found really important, and I'd like to encourage you during this time when hope is fading, you have to have a discipline 
of starting to um, keep your eyes firmly fixed on God. And I believe God's given us um, four tools um, that we can use to really great effect to help us um, when hope is fading. The first one is the importance of staying connected. So staying connected with Christians. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so that means that as Christians, we sharpen each other. We encourage each other and we help each other along as well. At LifeGate, because we're online at the moment, the best place, if you're not connected in in any of our life groups, um, in in our church, would best to be going to our website and looking up there where where you can get connected as well. We have other opportunities also online at the moment also with our, um, our Facebook group also. Um, and I'm sure you will also find some really great connections there as well. If you are in a life group, I encourage you to be joining that online as well. I know most of us are probably having a little bit of a Zoom fatigue um, as we may be doing a lot of that during our, our work, work days, um, depending on what you do. Um, but it's an important thing for you to do as well. I've been finding great encouragement in just reading the scriptures, God's word. One revolutionary thing that I learnt, um, unfortunately in my 20s, um, I wish I learnt a a lot earlier in my life, was all scripture somehow points back to Jesus because the scripture actually is about God's rescue plan for us. And so if you don't know the rescue plan... You don't know the actual purpose of why you're being put here and through that then freedom that you get through Jesus, you need to read it to understand where that's from. So I encourage you to be studying the scriptures. Prayer is really, really important. Prayer is how we connect to God. Prayer is how we communicate to God and it's how God also can communicate to us also. One of the things also that I've been finding really helpful is the power of worship. Now, I encourage you to go back and actually have a read of, the, of the, the events of Jehoshaphat. One thing that I didn't mention is when the soldiers and Jehoshaphat were marching out into battle, Jehoshaphat didn't put his crack troops at the front, his most biggest, most scariest, most fierce guys. He didn't even put in like his advanced scouts to see you know, where the enemy were and things like that as well. What he did is he put his musicians out the front. His worshippers. Why? Because he needed the army to hear them worshipping the living God because that kept their eyes on God, not on the thing that they thought they had to do. But we, of course we know that God had already handed that out. So for me, um, part of what I do is I put music on, worship music, and I let those words just wash over me. It helps me keep my eyes off myself and onto God. So there are four tools that I encourage you to use. Now, you may be a person saying, well, Mark, that's really, like, um, great. He's a king. Josephat's a king. He's got, like, millions of people um, um, he's got responsibility for. Of course God's going to answer him. That's true. But we also have a God that also sees the most insignificant person and desires relationship with them. So the next person I want to talk to, to you about is Hagar the servant. And this comes from Genesis 16. Now, Hagar was a servant of Sarai. Sarai, who we later know as Sarah, um, was the husband of 
Abram, who eventually also had his name changed to mean to Abraham, which means father of many. Now, Sarai and Abram were unable to have children. In the chapter before Genesis 16, Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham, Abram, I should say, and he gives him a promise that he will be a father of many nations. He tells him to look up into the, star, into the stars and to count them. He couldn't, of course. Um, if you ever get out of Sydney, we will get out of Sydney one day to, to see, the, see the bush again, um, but just not quite yet. Um, if you've ever seen the stars and how many there actually are, what God's actually created. Um, Abram was unable to um, count those stars. And, and God said, so will be your, your offspring and the generations that go from, from you. You will be a father of many, many people. And of course, Abraham did eventually become father of many different nations. But at that time, when God promised that, they had no children. So 10 years had passed after that um, promise, and we get to chapter 16. Hagar is an Egyptian slave. She's a slave to um, Sarai. Sarai then starts to think, gee, I'm not going to have children. I believe she's in her 80s at this time. And so she thought, okay, maybe um, Abram can have children through my slave Sarai. Uh, Sorry, not Sarai, through Hagar, I should say. So Sarai gives Hagar, her slave, to Abram um, um, as his wife. And so, of course, then Abram agrees with that. Um, And then um, Hagar then conceives a child. And then the relationship breaks down. Um, Hagar is still seen as a slave. But now she's bearing... Um, Sarai's husband's um, child. And so then there's conflict that then happens. And so we come into into the scriptures here and we jump in. And again, I encourage you to read this um, because it is a fantastic story. Um, It's pretty pretty, um, raw um, and it doesn't hide the facts of the things that that are happening here. But here Sarai goes to Abram and, and says, look what this, this, this slave has done. Um, and you now have got a child through this, through this slave, and she's being really mean to me. And it's interesting, how does Abram here respond to Sarai? He says, behold, your servant is in your power. Now remember, um, Hagar was given um, as um, a wife to Abram, but Abram here doesn't acknowledge her as a wife, he acknowledges her as a servant, insignificant. Do to her as you please. So Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled. We then pick it up in the next verse. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to Shur, And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. The angel of the Lord then tells Hagar what to call this child. And he said that you shall call this, this child Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now, one thing that I want to just um, draw your attention to before we continue on with this story is that when we talk about the angel of the Lord, depending on the context of the scriptures, sometimes it means an angel or a messenger from, from God, but other times it actually we, we take that to be actually God himself. And in the context of um, this story, okay, it is... Um, commonly believed and recognised that this is actually God himself. So think about that. Insignificant slave, abused, being sold into slavery, being forced to marry and then bear a child, and then being thrown out and she's run run away um, into a really hopeless situation. And by a spring of water... God himself meets her. This is the, one of the longest conversations, by the way, of God had with one of his creation um, in, in the Old Testament. A few things I just want to bring, bring your attention to. Ishmael, which God told Hagar to call her child, means God hears when Hagar left and she returned to Sarai, and her circumstances um, didn't really change much, and it's interesting, later on, God also again reveals himself to her and looks after her, okay? But on her way back from, her, from, from encountering God, she names the spring that she met God, Beer Lahai Roy, which means the well of the living one who sees me. So I don't know about you, but one of the most exciting things I have in my day um, is when I welcome kids to the school and, and I have a lot of kindy kids and year one and year two kids, um, they, they tend to get dropped off at school in a kiss and drop and it's just such a pleasure for me to be able to open the door and welcome them, welcome them to school. And the power of me being a principal, knowing their name and connecting with them for the kid to see that I see them, that I hear them and that they matter. And the same thing here is happening with Hagar. God is saying to her, I see you, I hear you, you matter. So why look to God? Because he sees you and you matter. I just want to just have a little time for you to reflect right now. There's two questions God asked Hagar in her state of when everything just seems completely hopeless. He asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, if God asks you those questions right now, where have you come from and where are you going? You may say, well, nowhere. I'm in lockdown, okay? But spiritually, where are you going? Where have you come from? Where are you going? I'll just give you a few moments just to reflect on that question of where are you going? There's one other story I just want to quickly bring to your attention just before we finish. 
When we talk about the angel of the Lord, there's also an interpretation that actually Hagar met what we call the pre-incarnated Jesus. So what we mean by that is Jesus, before he came to earth as a man to rescue um, humanity, to rescue us. So now we're going to go 2,000 years later. And again, we find Jesus again at a spring or a well. And he also is about to talk to um, um, a lady that in her community was looked down upon and insignificant. So Jesus is in Samaria. Samaria is um, um, up um, above um, Judea and it was seen as um, an inferior um, place um, of, of, of a population. The Jews believed, and they are, God's chosen people, but they didn't see that anyone else actually would share into that. And particularly the, Sam- the S- Samaritans, they were sinful and they were beyond help um, and were not worthy of, of actually being um, part of God's kingdom. That was the thought process. So here we have Jesus sitting at a well. And then this single Samaritan lady walks up in the middle of the day to draw out water. Now, I've been told that that is a strange thing in itself. It's strange because water is drawn in the the cool of the um, the morning or the cool of the afternoon, certainly not um, in um, the heat of the day. So there is a suggestion that maybe this, this lady was trying to not see anyone or not to be able to interact with, with anyone. So the story continues. And as Jesus starts talking to this Samaritan woman, we find out that, yes, indeed, um, she's living a very, very sinful um, life. So here we have God um, talking to a sinful woman. Not only a sinful woman but also just the fact that she was a Samaritan woman, um, a Jewish male would, not, would never, ever even um, recognise um, um, a, a Samaritan woman. So here again we've got Jesus again saying, I see you, I hear you. But this is the really cool thing about it. This time, instead of um, the living God, near the spring. This time, Jesus actually introduces himself to the Samaritan woman as actually the living God who has the living water. And through Jesus, she would no longer thirst anymore. She would be transformed. And in meeting Jesus, her life was transformed. She was given hope. She was given purpose. So there we've got three stories, one of a king and two of two insignificant people. It is so important that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus because through Jesus we have hope. Through Jesus we will receive freedom and through Jesus we will also discover our purpose of why we're here on earth. So for my brothers and sisters who know Jesus, I just want to encourage you during this time to keep your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. But for those of you who may be watching this right now and say, gee, I would like that, 
I'm really not sure where I sit. I want to invite you to come and to meet um, the same God that um, defeated the hordes, the same God um, who saved an insignificant um, servant, and the same God that also saved a sinful Samaritan woman. That same God wants relationship with you as well. So just before we finish, I invite you now just to pray with me a simple prayer to ask Jesus into your life. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you are God. I thank you that you love me and that through you, you have forgiven my sins. I choose to have you in my life and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are um, a person who's prayed that prayer for the first time today, I invite you just to um, put it into the chat or just connect through us through um, on our, our website um, just to tell us um, that you've made that decision um, to follow Jesus because we want to be able to help you right now on this most exciting and wonderful journey of being um, in relationship with Jesus. So I thank you for spending this time and I pray that you continue to hold on to hope. See you later. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations, and we'd love to help you get connected. My name is Andrew, and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church, and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to support you, help you get connected, and find out how you can take your next steps. So why don't you head to lifegate.org.au slash online and we'd love to find out more about you and how we can serve you as a church. Thanks for checking out this message and we'll catch you soon.